I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending May 28th. It would be a tidy coincidence if the problems of one technological megatrend could be solved by another technological megatrend. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Megatrend number one, renewable energy sources. What's the problem? The accelerating adoption of renewable energy sources complicates the process of managing the power grid. One possible solution is to add massive storage batteries to the electrical system itself, but that technology just isn't ready yet. Meet megatrend number two, electric vehicles. EVs are all going to be equipped with some fairly hefty batteries, and with millions of EVs likely to be sitting in our driveways soon enough, that will represent a pretty significant amount of battery capacity. Our guest this week is Ritesh Tiagi. He's the head of product innovation and growth strategy at Infineon. Infineon just happens to sell semiconductor products to both the energy and automotive industries. Tiagi is among those who propose the development of vehicle-to-grid technology. Before we get into our discussion with Ritesh about V2G, here are some of the articles we have in EE Times this week. In this week's news, we've got our hands on a recent report that details the teardowns of several of the newest smartphones on the market. That's interesting in and of itself, but author Junko Yoshida says the report does so much more than peer into the inner workings of some phones. It also provides an insight into whether the global supply chain really is separating into two, with one supply chain for China and its allies, and the other for Western countries. Meanwhile, Valens Semiconductor, which specializes in semiconductors for multi-gigabit connectivity, is about to list on the New York Stock Exchange with a valuation in excess of $1 billion. We take a look at what the company is doing to earn that kind of a valuation. Also this week, two stories that are going to make you think twice about buying a new car. First, all new cars are eventually going to be connected, which means they're all going to be subject to hacking. Also, safety recommendations for self-driving vehicles exist, but we've got an investigative report that demonstrates that hardly any automotive companies are committed to any of those recommendations. All of these stories and more. Visit our website at eetimes.com for the latest in industry news and analysis. If you reached this episode through our podcast webpage, there are links to all of these stories on your left. Managing the power grid requires balancing power generation with demand, but spinning up renewable energy sources complicates that process for a number of reasons. For example, the amount of energy generated can be unpredictable. Take a solar energy farm. On a perfectly clear day, it might generate a certain amount of energy X, but on an overcast day, it might perhaps generate only three-quarters X or one-half X. If we're going to rely more on renewables, and we are, then the architecture of the grid is going to have to evolve a bit. Storing energy has never been an integral operation in power management, but one of the best potential management options we have available for a grid fed by renewables is to add storage. That's a still only potential solution because the energy industry hasn't fully developed the technology yet, although all sorts of companies are working on it. That includes Tesla, in a way. 
That Tesla got involved makes sense, given the company has plenty of expertise with batteries it builds for its cars. Tesla is now selling a large home battery unit called a Powerwall. Now, it's not entirely tangential that Tesla recently fixed it so that Powerwall must work with solar energy. Anyway, Powerwall not only stores energy, which can be tapped for residential use, but it is also capable of sending electricity back to the grid. Now, that seems a little complicated to some people. Why bother with the extra battery when you already have a relatively large battery pack right there in your driveway in your electric vehicle? Soon enough, there should be hundreds of thousands of EVs out there, and shortly after that, there will be millions, all together representing an extraordinary accumulation of battery capacity. Why not plug most of them into the grid, ready to store or dispense energy as needed? This approach is known as vehicle-to-grid, or V2G. Ritesh Tiagi is the head of product innovation and growth strategy at Infineon. He's been working on, well, he works on a lot of things, but one of them is the automotive industry, and he knows the energy industry too. I wanted to start our conversation with Ritesh with what's happening with the power grid, starting with demand. Electronics are already widespread, but with internet usage growing incessantly, data centers have become huge consumers of energy. Next, we'll be adding the automotive industry as EVs gradually replace gas-powered vehicles. Beyond that, every single thing in the internet of things is going to be powered, and the world really hasn't even gotten started with the IoT yet. Here's what Ritesh had to say about growing energy demand. I think you uh, explained very well that uh, data centers are the one uh, which I've been there, I think, for last, I would say, 10 years. Uh, and, and recently, uh, I guess, uh, electric mobility is definitely uh, going to consume um, a lot of power, actually, demand that we are seeing in the industry is going to come further and going to increase dramatically, that's for sure. Um, However, uh, in my opinion, and, and obviously, uh, uh, if you look at a lot of uh, analysis done by uh, experts, uh, whether the demand on the grid is enough or whether the grid is, an, grid is uh, uh, stable enough or whether, whether we are producing enough energy to meet the demand, I think the uh, answer is that it's not, it's not the generation is an issue. I think we generate enough power. And in US, still, I think we are generating more power uh, than it is required, even in 2020. Uh, the, the real question comes that how do we uh, transmit that power? So transmission uh, would change dramatically. Because if you look at the power generation, uh, there's substantial uh, amount comes from renewable energy, whether it's wind, solar, etc. And and for that, uh, the moment you generate, you have to distribute it. Uh, the, the storage of that power is complicated and, and, and the infrastructure is not there. Now, with the e-mobility uh, specifically, uh, today, uh, the number of cars uh, which are drawing electricity for charging is around less than 2% of the total car that, that we produce every year. And even by, I would say, 2035, that EV market would be around 15% of the total cars that we produce today. So 
it's still not a lot. I think the overall consumption curve is still very much um, very much in control. However, the, the the transmission and then there's an opportunity uh, that grid can take advantage of that the, all these EVs, they do have battery capacity where these charges can be stored as well. And, and that charge can, uh, remember I said in the beginning that all this renewable energy that we generate, where do we store that? Should we create a lot of batteries, create infrastructure? And then that's very expensive. However, with this, with this proliferation of EV, we do have, we will have that storage capacity at every homes. So whatever we consume, we can also store excess power in these batteries, and then that can that power can go back to the grid also, where whenever the peak demand occurs. So I think in nutshell, the issue is not at all that that we are seeing here for the generation of the power or the peak demand of the power, I think, is a transmission of the power uh, over the grid. That is the, the main, main, main issue. We're looking at the EV fleet as one of the storage mechanisms. Is that correct? Yeah, precisely. And then that's what I say. It's an opportunity for our grid infrastructure to utilize these electric fleet, not only just as a, as a consumer devices, but also as a storage devices as well. And that's where I, uh, I just also mentioned about the V2G, vehicle-to-grid technology investment is required. And, and, and the rest of everything, as you just mentioned, is exactly correct, that we can take this opportunity as a storage devices as well. That's fascinating. Does that depend on, uh, a moment ago you cited a couple statistics about uh, the uptake of electric vehicles. Uh, I think you said 2% right about now, and uh, I believe you cited 15% at some point in the future, 2035 perhaps? Correct. Um, does the math work out if we only have 10% uh, uptake by 2035, um, or, or do you have to start thinking about uh, a, a different approach, you know, some, some other complementary way of storing energy or thinking about, again, how you, how you generate and distribute? Well, uh, I might not have very specific statistics about what is the uh, threshold where we can be very comfortable, but I, I think if I remember... A uh, lot of statistics were showing that today we have a pretty decent amount of surplus in electricity generation, actually. And even up to 2050, and again, we can verify that, but I'm just telling about from my memory that even the, the current EV proliferation that we see by 2050, we would be fine on generation. The capacity that we are increasing on, uh, on a... On a regular basis uh, in our power power generation plants or, or whatever we have future plants, I think we are will be fine. Uh, it's it's not like there's the, a dramatic load will appear somewhere suddenly and, and, and we have a problem. Uh, but if all the, we would take the natural calamity aside and in the normal peak demand and load ratio, I think we would be fine on the generation side. It's all 
depends on the transmission that whether we are we are efficiently transmitting that power whether whether we are recycling that power efficiently whether where some people are consuming more some people are storing more and and someone is just sending back the energy doing the peak demands uh, and and how different grids are are creating an infrastructure where this V2G can be utilized from Western grid to Eastern grid to Epcot or, or, or whatever it is. I think uh, that's where that's where the real uh, technology investment uh, needs to be focused on. So over the past uh, decade or so, maybe a little bit longer, energy companies, uh, energy utilities have been uh, uh, working pretty hard to implement uh, systems that will allow them to manage at least their section of the grid or the part that they interface with better. Um, what's the status of uh, management techniques across the grid? Is that something that uh, we should? Uh, is that something that's already done? Is this something that uh, is still in progress? Well, if you look at our grid infrastructure, it is hundred year old basically, and and obviously when we were expanding the infrastructure, uh, it was much more of a you know, incremental way. The demand comes, we add more power stations. We, we extend the transmission lines and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, if we say that, oh, well, uh, the entire grid infrastructure has been optimized and it has been uh, modernized, I would say no. I mean, there, there's definitely <clears throat> a lot of uh, scope for efficient management of power distribution. And, and, and look, it is, it is well known that 20, 30% of power has been lost in the distribution or, or mismanagement of transmission lines or or other factors. And also the, the semiconductor industry has evolved in last 70, 60, 70 years dramatically, actually. So the power management devices that were being used earlier are become more efficient. Uh, transmission losses uh, can be reduced uh, dramatically by using next generation semiconductor technology as well. And and at the end of the day, it's always be a, a, a always a, a point where we all started thinking about that. Well, yes, I can add a lot more power station. Not a problem. I mean, yes, there would be enough um, money available to 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 really um, build the power station. But can we manage that efficiently from from cost standpoint? from peak demand standpoint, from uh, demand and supply standpoint, all those things actually requires a lot of uh, intelligence needs to built in into the grid. I mean, grids are still working as a, as a very mechanized, mechanical way. There's no, there's very little intelligence built into that. And, and, and I think there's a lot of scope to bring that uh, demand supply statistics uh, uh, that, that, sometimes becomes a very uh, daunting task to manage uh, but with the new 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 devices new methodologies and a lot of uh, ai that we can build into that and in our whole grid management system uh, will help so i think there is a definitely uh, a need and and a, and a scope 
and an opportunity to upgrade the grid. But most of the time, what I'm trying to just focus on that a lot of time people just start thinking that, oh, we don't we don't have a power or we will have a chaos or we will have not enough power to, to run these um, electric vehicle or everything will collapse. <laughs> That's not the case, actually. <laughs> so you're assuring us that, that the power supply we're pretty good with. Um, generation, none, power generation. Power generation, yeah. power generation, yeah. yeah. Um, so my net, So the question I asked you was about management. That's at a pretty high level. Um, but during your response, you were also talking about the physical um, the, the, the physical assets as well, and that some of it's 100 years old or older. So um, what are your recommendations for preparing for the future in terms of the technology that's in the generating stations, the, the technology that's in the transformers, uh, the, the, the technology that's in the transmission network and substations and, and whatnot. Um, what's the status of, of those systems? I know you already mentioned they're mostly mechanical, but what's the status of those systems and, and what, what should we be thinking about doing with those systems to, to modernize the grid? Well, I think it's a, it's a tough question, but I'll try to just answer from, from different angle. And, and again, the way I look at it, uh, uh, by being in the semiconductor industry for, for well over 25 years, uh, I always look at it that, uh, that, that and, and it's an analogy. Uh, look, the Apollo uh, ship that we have sent to the moon, we had a very small microcontroller <laughs> on on board, which was doing almost which 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 landed our crew safely and uh, and and took them back to the Earth. But if you compare that processing capability to today's cell phone, our any cell phone is like thousand times more powerful, or even more actually than the one onboard computer that we had on Apollo, basically. So, so that's a kind of a technology evolve, uh, especially the semiconductor technology that can, uh, can help this grid to run more efficiently, like high voltage DC devices, um, uh, fast AC transmission systems. Uh, there, are, there are certain uh, foundation technology on uh, gallium nitride or silicon carbide, uh, different kind of uh, switch mode power supplies, uh, and all in all, and, or, or, or the battery management systems, actually. So wherever you are storing all these things, uh, how you efficiently manage that, how you are charging, discharging, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. So I would say th these are the things, when I look at it from, from our angle or from our lens that, okay, we can offer these next generation technologies, which can make grid more efficient uh, overall, actually, from, from management standpoint, from transmission standpoint, and, and of, of course, the efficient distribution standpoint as well. So it's hard for me to pinpoint a one or two areas, but as I mentioned, I look at from, from a semiconductor standpoint and and electronics industry's um, progress that we have seen, which uh, which should be used in a grid. And in fact, grid is not. And, and one more one more comment that I would like to make, like to make that sometimes we see the grid as a electrical system. Actually, it is not only the electrical system. There are a lot of electronics involved in that as well. 
and 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 a lot of uh, uh, innovation happens in those areas. So I'm sure people are taking advantage of those, and 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 it's being used. However, it's a, it's a it's a mammoth system. It's a, it's it's hard to upgrade uh, very easily. So yeah, there were a little bit of here and there uh, upgrades were happening, but there's now need to to take it to the next level. And I think for any infrastructure anywhere in the country. To what extent are you familiar with any uh, conversations about putting sensors into the into the grid so that we know what's going on with it? Well, uh, I think the sensing technology has become uh, part of our daily lives. Uh, it does not matter which, uh, which area we talk about, uh, we, we have, and we, we intend to use more sensors to get the real-time data. So, uh, yes, obviously, the, the current, NX, and again, this is, this, we can argue that hey, there's some, some, some um, uh, stations or some part of the grid is, is a little bit more modernized or a little more up-to-date. Some part is not. We can also argue that. Uh, however, uh, I do agree with you that if we need to bring more intelligence to manage the demand supply curve better and and do an efficient transmission of the power, we do need to build, build a lot of intelligence uh, into, the, into our grid system. And sensors are one of the important component of, of the intelligence because that gives us a pulse that what is going on at, at the grid level. And, and we do use actually. It's not like there there are not there's no sensor and suddenly magically we are getting all the information. That is not true. There are there are a lot of uh, uh, sensors we do use. However, uh, let me give you some analogy that how how it works. And and even if you look at um, today's electric today's cars, any car actually, uh, and compare with the cars that we used to of in in fifties or sixties. 5060s the car definition was that okay can can it turn the wheel and can it take from point a to b that was the kind of thought process and 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 all of the all of the innovation or things were okay can we have a better leather seat nice comfort this and that all kind of stuff so so basically it was much more of a comfort uh, that we were looking at uh, from the cars and a a transportation vehicle where it can take me to a point A to point B. Now, if, if you look at today's car, and, and again, this was a journey from, from early, uh, right after the World War II to, to now, it was a journey where now we talk about that, hey, how do I know it is more safe? How do I know that when I put a brake, it breaks 100% without fault? How do they know that, okay, I am, I'm looking at a wheel to turn 10 degree, it is precisely turning 10 degree. It's not turning 15 degree. Or how do I know that uh, the the car is actually letting me telling me about the surroundings? That okay, you are running at 70 miles now. Your your efficiency is going down. So I'm getting a lot more information about the overall. It's only not the comfort, but it's it's a total user experience. So comfort has converted into user experience actually. And then, of course, safety and this and that. So there, there are many elements, uh, uh, many more elements have been added over the period of the last 50 years in the car. Now let's go back to the grid. Yes, 
in the beginning, we said, okay, how do I, how do we move from Edison's DC system to Tesla's AC systems? Very, very big jump. We moved from there and now we can transmit the energy uh, far distances. We don't need to have a power station um, uh, every other block and all, all kind of stuff. So that was the first major, I would say, the, the leapfrog that happened. But if you look at from there today, I see this as a like very similar, whatever, like, okay, we are still talking about generating, transmitting, generating, transmitting. Let's, let's say how, we, how, how I transmit and, and how do I just uh, manage the peak demand. But peak demand also is being managed in a in a in a crude way, and and by the time it comes, uh, people start. I mean, all the electricity companies started scrambling and and they start cranking out a lot of coal plants and this and that because they don't know when it's going to come. So whatever is immediately available, I'm going to just crank it up, no matter how much how much carbon footprint it is going to generate for to, to meet that peak demand. But if you have a lot more sensors and we. We, we do have a lot of statistical model, actually, with a lot of AI built in, then we know that, well, I think there is a high probability that on Memorial, before one day before Memorial Day, on Friday, there would be this kind of demand will occur because a lot of people will charge their vehicle to go point A to point B. I need to figure out in advance. I mean, they do that a little bit today, but it's still a very crude way. In my opinion, I mean, whatever I'm exposed to that. And and then, of course, we can get a lot more data and then our response could be much more uh, uh, carbon friendly, friendly, actually, not releasing a lot of carbon into the atmosphere, as well as we can manage that peak demand much more predictable manner as opposed to just a fandom cranking thing. And if I'm correct, I mean, I, I think I have, I have heard with someone that Buying a electricity, it's like a stock market. So a lot more this electricity company, they, are, they they employ people who are buying the the electricity in the real time, actually. So so all those things, and you can see the how much intelligence went in the stock market in the last fifty years <laughs> compared oh, to what don't, we have. Don't get me started. <laughs> so it's it's like huge. I mean, it's like all kind of stuff. So my point is that I'm giving these analogies to really make the point simpler. That that we do need, I think this is a sector which has a high high possibilities and a lot more opportunities to to get modernized. So what I heard from the analogy is uh, with between the automotive industry and uh, and the energy industry is that we need more more cup holders and a better sound system in our grid. Is that right? Well, no, not the cup holders, actually. <laughs> I, think I, I think you did very well. I mean, you, 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 you really added a nice trick here, but not at all the cup holder or sound system. We, we do need a lot more intelligence sensors to give us enough information in advance to make intelligent decisions. Okay. Um... I am out of questions that I had prepared for you. What's important about the grid and developing the grid and preparing for uh, the future that I haven't asked about that you think is important for, for an engineering audience to, to know? Yeah. Well, let me just take that to the very high level, like 60,000 foot, foot level, and then I'll drill down further to the, to the very much at the ground reality scenario and in between you will pick it up that 
what are the different milestones where we have to put our effort, time, resource, and money. So, well, we all, whether we, we, we might agree, disagree to a certain degree, but we all agree that uh, the earth is sick. I think we need to heal the earth. And obviously, carbon footprint and, and, and the more and more we are uh, not paying attention to this area, more and more is going to hamper our, our, our development in the longer run. So from there, whatever is connected with the energy, actually, no matter whether it's a consumption of energy, production of energy, uh, storage of energy, I think energy is, is, is a key element. And there, if we just further divide that into different categories, so obviously, we have developed many technologies in the last 50, 60 years uh, for the generation of power. I think, of course, very, um, I would say, less efficient coal to highly efficient renewable or nuclear or everything in between. We have a lot more different ways of generating energy. And we all know that, yes, we can all argue that this, which is better, worse, and better ROI. So that's not a point. And the point is that we, we do know uh, how to generate. And then, of course, uh, we do have a system where we were, we were relatively well transmitting that energy and, and the energy is reaching to the people's house, uh, running their appliances and, and whatnot. Uh, there was a moment, there was a time, actually, if, if I remember correctly, when air conditioning become part of every household and 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 that was the first call to to the energy company that oh this peak demand concept start appearing that oh suddenly everybody's turning their cranking their conditioning and 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 energy consumption goes high and that was the first i would say trigger point where people start thinking about it oh okay this can happen actually and and then now we are moving to the new era where uh, where the lot more devices are being connected. I mean, IoT, where a lot of always-on sensors you see, uh, though they are very, they're not consuming a lot, but I'm talking about the how the society is, is moving, uh, where the society is moving. So so we would be dependent on uh, many of the always-on devices, which are always being used or consuming and, 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 and power and, and whatnot. And, and, and obviously, EV is a, and, and and of course, data center before that uh, were the biggest power uh, uh, consumers. Actually, ultimately, now that's where we we start looking at that when we consume this energy, and 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 how can we make sure that we don't need to put more generation of energy? Because if if we if we uh, reduce the pressure on the generation, then also we contribute towards the carbon footprint because we are not cranking many of these power plants to generate more energy. And that's where the, the discussions are happening in the academia as well as at any, many of the forums that how do we do efficient usage of these energy? So, so I touched upon a little bit about that, hey, you have a car, but the 90% of the time the car is sitting idle. I mean, you take car from home to office, then it's idle there, then office to home, then idle at home. And this is, in my opinion, a sin that if we are not taking into consideration, how do we better utilize that 
high source of energy, putting that back to the grid, and even reduce down the generation of our power or energy, whatever we're doing even today. I mean, I mean, it's not necessary that we should always go in one direction for generation of the power. We can reduce the generation of power as well if we efficiently utilize those. And I think there are technology available. And of course, in Finland side as well, I mean, we've been done many, many advances, actually, many innovation that we have brought to the marketplace in the power semiconductor areas. Uh, and, and also the, in the battery technology as well. I and mean, I think a lot, lot more research is going on and uh, to, to improve the battery capacity, uh, the charge holding time, uh, and, and also the different kind of materials have been used in the battery capacity. So if we are serious to make this V2G, vehicle to grid, a reality, uh, then we have to take into account this grid infrastructure, not in isolation, but look at as a total solution that we don't, how do we reduce down the, the, the production as well? How do we manage the peak demand? How do we store it efficiently? And how do we bring it back to the grid? And how do we really develop some new battery technologies, which by the way, people are uh, developing a lot. I mean, instead of just going for lithium battery with cobalt, people are looking at for lithium battery with with aluminum, which is much much uh, less cost, or or other materials, uh, and which are which are holding charge a little bit uh, efficiently, and, and and all kind of stuff. So what what my message is that I think we need to look at this problem in totality. We've been talking with Ritesh Tiagi, head of product innovation and growth strategy at Infineon. V2G is not necessarily a slam dunk. It'll require growing sales of EVs which is very likely but not guaranteed. It'll require the buy-in of utilities, and that will probably require either a bulletproof economic case or, lacking that, government fiat. V to G will also require the buy-in of EV owners. That might be easier. Studies suggest that most car owners could make money by selling power back to the grid, which of course gets us back to the utility buy-in. A big concern is that cycling batteries ultimately degrades them, cycling them more frequently degrades them faster, and V to G means increased cycling. Battery technology will have to be improved, or some mechanism will have to be devised to make swapping batteries easier. It looks like special chargers and plugs will also be necessary. Now, conceptually, V2G seems as if it might be especially attractive to organizations that operate vehicle fleets. In fact, there are two school bus companies in North America exploring V2G. Bluebird and Lion are both working with a startup called Nuvi, that's N-U-V-V-E. Late last year, Lion delivered a V2G bus to a school district in White Plains, New York. Bluebird delivered its first V2G school bus to a school district in Peoria, Illinois at the end of March. There are other exploratory V2G projects being conducted in Japan, the United Kingdom, and Denmark. Now, since we're talking about looking at the energy market in its totality, it just so happened that we ran two great stories about power generation from editor Maurizio De Paolo Emilio. One is about Siemens Energy 
which has just licensed an unusual technology from a company called Echogen Power Systems. The generation of power produces heat, and quite a bit of that heat gets wasted. Plenty of companies make waste heat recyclers. Echogen has a system that's supposed to be much more compact. Why? Well, because it's using supercritical carbon dioxide. SCO2 is weird. It's not quite a gas and not quite a liquid, which gives it some unusual properties that are said to make it particularly good at heat transfer. Next, we have fusion power, which might be making a comeback. For the longest time, the most common fusion reactor type has been the tokamak. We've got a story on a company called TAE Technologies that has a reactor design of its own. The company just reported achieving not one, but two technological milestones that the company finds so encouraging it believes it might be possible to introduce a commercial fusion reactor in as little as five years. I know, I know, fusion power has been five years away going on 30 years now, but maybe this time it actually is. And that brings us to the end of another weekly briefing. Thank you for listening. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.